So back in Leviticus chapter 2, let's read verses 1 through 4. It tells us, When anyone offers a grain offering to the Lord, his offering shall be a fine flour, and he shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it, and he shall bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests, one of whom shall take from it his handful of fine flour and with oil with all the frankincense. And the priest shall burn it as a memorial on the altar, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. The rest of the grain offering shall be Aaron's and his sons. It is most holy of the offerings to the Lord made by fire. So here we see this grain offering. If you have King James Version, it says meat offering, but really it's a meal offering, right? We looked at the protein in the past chapter, right? And here's your carbohydrates, if you would, right? The last chapter, but that was a burnt sacrifice, so no one would even eat anything off that sacrifice. We'll look at later more and more the food that we'd get to eat together. But here in this offering, if you notice, there's no blood involved, right? Why is no blood involved? What's being sacrificed? Grain. Open book test, right? Grain. Grain's being offered, right? There's no blood in grain. I think we all know that. So how could this be offered to the Lord, right? You can remember Cain, he was rejected for bringing an offering of the fruit of the ground to God. But the meal offering, you see, was always attached to an offering with blood. The only way that we can offer this meal offering to God is if we've already had our sins atoned for. Our sins covered or our sins taken away from us through the blood of Jesus Christ. This offering was a picture of gratitude and service unto the Lord. A picture of gratitude and service unto the Lord. Again, why do we serve the Lord here at Calvary Chapel, Miami? Because we're thankful, we're grateful for what God has done for us. And we just want to show Him that we're thankful and that we're grateful. We're not making ourselves holier. We're not trying to level up in Christianity. We're not trying to climb up the Christian totem pole or the Christian corporate ladder. No, we're trying to just show the Lord, Lord, I'm so thankful. I'm so grateful for what you've done in my life. Throughout this, right, there's blood and then there's labor. Blood has to be shed first and then we can labor for the Lord. Then we can work for the Lord. We need the blood of Jesus Christ so that we can be accepted for our lives. And after we have the blood of Jesus Christ, then the Lord will accept our labor and our service as a sacrifice unto him. Again, the only way we get in is not by good works. It's not by church attendance. It's not by where you served and how much you served. It's only by the blood of Jesus Christ. It starts off in verse 1 that the offering needed to be done with fine flour. Fine flour. And again, all of this is a picture of service and it's a picture of Jesus. You see, fine flour took a lot of work. There wasn't really any grain mills out in the desert here. Remember, this is God speaking out of the tabernacle to Moses on giving him the handbook for the Levites. So there's no grain mill or grain factory around there. There's no Walmart where they could just go purchase fine flour and bring it to the Lord. They would have to be grinding it and grinding it and grinding it with a mortar and a pestle. I didn't learn that word till a couple years ago from my mom. But is that thing that looks like a goblet with a stick in the middle of it. That is usually just decoration in your house, right? Maybe you make guacamole with it. Maybe you make fufu with it, right? But besides that... It's just sitting in your house. And this is how they would make the flour. But to make it a fine flour, it would take a lot of work. A whole lot of work. And again, this is a picture of Jesus because he was the only perfect human being. 
he is the only fine flower. The rest of us were a bit lumpy, right? Just like any flower that would be done quickly, it would have lumps in it. Some of us were really great at being kind and loving, but we're not so great at being confrontational and calling people out. Some of us were a bit too good at being confrontational and calling people out, but we're not so kind and we're not so loving, right? Each of us, we have areas where we're really good and areas that we're really bad and then we're weakened. But Jesus, he was perfect. He was able to call out the Pharisees, drive them out of the temples, flip the tables, right? But he's also able to love on the leper. He was able to tell, hey, let the little ones come unto me. You see, the perfect balance, the perfect picture of service that Jesus was unto God the Father. And again, he should be the picture of service that we look unto, that we try to emulate and we try to live like. So we have this fine flour, and then they would pour oil upon it. And oil throughout Scripture is a picture of the Holy Spirit. It's a picture of the Holy Spirit. What are some of the scriptures we get this from? We're not just making this up. You could turn quickly to Luke chapter 4, verse 18. Whenever I read this portion of scripture, I always think of a mic drop. That as Jesus is here, they ask him to come into the synagogue. And he reads this portion of scripture. He's reading Isaiah 61. And in Luke 4, 18... Luke chapter 4, verse 18, it's Jesus reading from Isaiah 61. It just so happened that that was the portion of Scripture to read in the synagogue that day. And in verse 18, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, and He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then you jump down to verse 21, and what does he say? Today, this scripture is being fulfilled in your hearing. Again, mic drop, right? He says, this is the day that Isaiah chapter 61 is being fulfilled. Because I'm here, and now Jesus is saying, I'm being anointed by the Holy Spirit so I can do these great things for God that Isaiah the prophet once spoke of. You can write down Acts chapter 10, verse 38. And in Acts 10.38, it reads how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Again, this is why we believe and we get from Scripture. Anytime you see oil being poured out, it's a picture of the Holy Spirit. We'll look at it a bit more and how Jesus' service unto God was all with the Holy Spirit. In verse 3, it tells us the rest of the grain offering would be Aaron's and his sons, and it would be most holy of the offerings to the Lord made by fire. Very similar to the burnt offering, how God allowed people from all different classes, right? The high-class person that could afford several tractors, they would be able to bring a John Deere tractor and sacrifice it to the Lord, right? The person that can afford an ox and a cow, they would bring that and they would sacrifice that to God. The person in the middle class that could only afford a sheep, they had their little pet lamb in the house, and they said, Lord, I want to give this unto you. They were able to come and give the lamb, give a sheep, as the burnt offering to God. God, I want to dedicate my whole life unto you. I don't want anything left over. And in the low class, the poorest of the poor, they'd be able to even bring a pigeon or a dove and say, Lord, I want to give my all to you. And here what we're going to see, a very similar idea that someone could come and within the same grain offering, they could come and bring the Lord just the fine flour 
oil, and frankincense. And the Lord would take that, right? We read they would take a little bit, burn it to the Lord, and the rest of it would be given to the priests, and they would use that. We know they have the table of showbread there and different things like that. So you could just bring the ingredients and sacrifice that to the Lord. There in verse 4, it gives us other ways you could bring the same grain offering. You could bring it baked in the oven, and it shall be unleavened cakes of fine flour mixed with oil or unleavened wafers anointed with oil. But if your offering is a grain offering baked in a pan, it shall be a fine flour, unleavened, mixed with oil. You shall break it in pieces, then pour oil on it. It is a grain offering. If your offering is a grain offering baked in a covered pan, it shall be made of fine flour with oil. And you shall bring the grain offering that is made of these things to the Lord. And when it is presented to the priest, he shall bring it to the altar. Then the priest will take from the grain offering a memorial portion. Once again, they're going to burn it on the altar. It's an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. And then what is left of the grain offering shall be Aaron's and his sons. And it is most holy of the offerings to the Lord made by fire. Again, Lord, I'm grateful that you've died for me. Lord, I want to serve you in this way. Whether it's just grinding the grain and making flour and giving that to the Lord. Whether you like making a churro, right? And you come and you bring that to the priest. Whether you like making tortillas and you say, hey, this is what I want to make for the priest. Or flatbread or sourdough or whatever unleavened bread you want to make, right? You would come and you would make that and say, Lord, I want to give this to you. And that's the way we should serve the Lord. It's not so we could be buddy-buddy with a specific person in church. It's not so we could grow our insurance company or any other company, right? I want to serve so I could network with more people, right? That's not why you serve. We serve and we give the Lord our absolute best because we're thankful for him dying for us. So once again, some of it will be burnt up for the Lord and the rest of it would be given to Aaron and his sons. And we see all the different mixtures but the same ingredients, Fine flour and oil, right? We read pour oil on it. We read fine flour and oil. Fine flour mixed with oil. Wafers anointed with oil. Fine flour unleavened mixed with oil. Fine flour with oil. All these different ways to serve the Lord. But still the same two ingredients, right? Fine flour and oil. All of the service that we do for God must be done with the Holy Spirit. If you serve the Lord in your flesh, it's not going to work out well. It's not going to work out well. The people you're serving with, they're going to be able to notice, right? Whether it's the babies, man, this guy had a bad day today, right? Whether it's in the cafe, whether it's cleaning the bathrooms, whether it's leading people where to sit or where to park, people are going to notice if you're doing it filled with the Holy Spirit or just in your flesh. And even Jesus himself was constantly being filled with the Holy Spirit. The person who was fully God and fully man, he was still getting filled and refilled with the Holy Spirit. We know he was baptized of the Spirit, right? You could think of oil poured upon him. He was born of the Spirit. He was mingled human being with oil. He was led of the Spirit, the oil poured on him. And he taught, he performed miracles. He offered himself all in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the same is true for us. Everything we do unto the Lord, it needs to be done in the Holy Spirit. Even our service outside of church. You could be better at what you do for a living if you're asking the Lord, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. 
as I'm changing this tire, as I'm arresting this person, as I'm answering this phone call, as I'm doing these taxes, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. We need to be filled with Him. And we as believers, we have different interactions with the Holy Spirit. Before we're saved, He's with us. He's drawing us to Christ. He's beginning to soften our hearts, beginning to open our eyes to the truth of the gospel. When we're saved, He comes and He dwells inside of us. He comes and now He's in us. We get our first filling of the Holy Spirit when we get saved. Like when you buy a car, hopefully they don't give you an empty gas tank, right? You buy the car, there's some gas in there. And finally, He comes upon us after we're saved and we ask for that baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then He comes on top of us and we can continue to pray and ask, Lord, fill me and fill me and fill me. You go to verse 11. What's the two things that should never be in this grain offering? What's the two things that should never be in our service to the Lord? tells us in verse 11, No grain offering which you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven. For you shall burn no leaven nor any honey in any offering to the Lord made by fire. Leaven throughout scripture is a type of sin. It's a picture for sin. For us today, I don't know how many of us call it leaven, but we'd call it yeast. And depending on what you're making, it requires a certain amount of yeast. In this day and age, they would probably use an old piece of dough from the prior batch, and they would take that and mix it in the next batch and save a little piece for the next time that they're making bread. There's old starter dough bread, and it's old dough that has crossed through time for centuries. There's one that's literally called Black Death Starter. I don't know why you'd want that, but it's from 1633, from when the Black Death was happening, and apparently they still have pieces of this sourdough going around. I don't know if I want any sourdough bread that's called Black Death Starter dough bread, but, right? You have this old piece of dough, and you throw it in there, and you make it a new one. And even though that old piece of dough is old, if you put that piece in there, it's still going to puff it up. It's still going to work its way and permeate through all the dough, no matter how much you add there. I started making pizzas during COVID, right? And my pizza dough recipe would have an old piece of pizza dough that you keep in your fridge. It's not like sitting under my bed or anything like that. You keep it in the fridge, and you add that, and you repeat the process. And again, this is all a picture of sin. William Barclay, he says, sometimes the Jew would use the word leaven much as we would use the term original sin. Or our nature of evil within human nature. They wouldn't say, oh, evil nature or original sin. They would say leaven. The leaven we've grown up with. The leaven that's permeated in our lives, right? That's what they would use. And this is a picture of Jesus because Jesus had no leaven in his life. He had zero leaven in his servanthood unto the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it tells us, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Again, Jesus, he was perfect. He was blameless in his service unto the Lord. We could turn quick to 1 Peter chapter 2, and we'll read there verse 21 through 25. And as incredible as it is that Jesus had no sin, it doesn't just stop there. We as Christians... We're supposed to emulate him. We're supposed to live like him. We're supposed to do our best to look like him today, to live our lives without leaven. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, 
It tells us, for to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. What's the example? Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Again, we see Jesus, he committed no sin. There was no deceit in his mouth. He was blameless to the point that when they would revile him, when they would mock him, when they would make fun of him, he wouldn't return it back to them. What a picture of love is this. This was in my devos this morning. It says, man, the only time we should speak evil of someone else or ill of someone else, it should be in our prayer life. It should be unto the Lord. Right? How many of our arguments would be dead and stopped if we would not revile in return? Your husband, your wife says something not in the spirit, right? And you just bite your tongue, right? You just do nothing. You just smile and nod, right? You walk away. All of the arguments are done. It takes two people to argue, right? We all know that. It's not fun when they don't argue back. Like, come on, right? What's going on here? And that's to Jesus was that's how he lived he did not revile in return he lived his life without any leaven again he's an example for us that we would not allow any leaven into our own lives a couple scriptures in luke chapter 12 verse 1 jesus he tells the disciples beware of the leaven of the pharisees which is hypocrisy so this sin this leaven that would permeate the life of a believer the one that jesus warned the other disciples about was hypocrisy be careful with hypocrisy because just as leaven, you put a tiny bit of it into some dough, it's going to all start rising. And it's a picture for us in our personal lives. We can't say, Lord, I'm going to be 98% holy and I'm only going to allow 2% of sin in my life. It's not going to just stop there. It's going to begin to grow and permeate your whole life. And then the danger, as we're going to see, is not only is it going to permeate your life, but then it's going to permeate the life of the church. That if we have sin within our own lives and we're allowing sin to run rampant in our lives, it's going to slowly infect the rest of the church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, let's turn there. This one's too good not to turn to. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we see the second type of leaven, right? A picture of sin mentioned in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6 through 8. And Paul tells the church of Corinth, your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth." What was the leaven that they were dealing with? It was sexual immorality. The church of Corinth was proud at how progressive they were as a church. And they were allowing a man who was in a sexual relationship with his stepmother-in-law, right? And they were glorying about how progressive they were. And today, are there not churches that they glory in how progressive they are? Look at our church staff. Look at the different types of marriages we have, right? 
Different types of sexual immorality we have going on. And that will permeate the church. We can't allow any form of sexual immorality to invade our lives because it's going to take over our whole life and then it will begin to invade the rest of the church. At the end there in verse 8, right, there's unleaven of malice and wickedness. If any of that comes into our life, it's going to continue to grow and permeate. What should we be feeding on? What should we be bringing to the table? The unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And this kind of goes back to the last one we talked about, right? The unleavened bread of the Pharisees. What was that? Hypocrisy, right? When you come to church and someone asks how you're doing, if you have a relationship with them, if you don't have a relationship with them, fine is the right answer, right? But if you do have a relationship with them, right, you know them, they know you, and they ask you, hey, how you doing? Fine is not the right answer. In churches where we're supposed to be real and vulnerable, I was hearing a teaching, Jim Gallagher, we try to act as Christian as we can in church, and then we act in our worst Christian behavior outside of church. It should be the opposite. In church, we should be real and vulnerable with one another. Man, this is where I'm lacking. This is where I need to grow. Man, pray for me in these areas. And then outside of church, we should be doing our best example of Jesus Christ to the world. But so often we come to church or to young adults or youth or ladies, men's, right? Hey, how you doing? Fine. Great. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus, right? Just add some more Christianese in there so they leave you alone, right? We need to be real. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, that hypocrisy, acting like you're all spiritual when you're not. Finally, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 9, again there he warns them, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. What was the leaven there in the church of Galatia? Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. It's the leaven of our previous bondage. Don't go back to your old sins. Don't go back to who you used to be before Christ saved you or your old hobbies. Be the new person that Christ has made you to be. For the church of Galatia, they're trying to go back to their Jewish roots and the Jewish laws and regulations. We are in Christ a new creation. The only way we're a new creation is if the old things have passed away and new things are brought. New things are in our life. Right? You hear people all the time, I was born this way, I was born this way. Again, heard in a teaching. Well, that, you were born that way. But you got to be born again. Got to be born again. That was the old creation. That was the old you. Now it's the new you in Christ Jesus. Beware of that previous bondage. You're never strong enough to handle sin. Never strong enough to handle sin. Sometimes we psych ourselves out, right? This used to be a struggle for me when I first got saved, but I can handle it now, right? It's like being strong enough to handle poison. That doesn't work. That's only in the movies, right? Only in the movies does that work, right? Man, I, I can handle the poison, right? Just give it to me, right? This is the same thing with sin. We think, man, I'm more mature now, and because I'm more mature, I can handle these things in the freedom of Christ. No, not at all. Not at all. Be careful with that leaven. So leaven was not to be in the sacrifice. What was the other thing? Back in Leviticus chapter 2, it was no leaven nor any honey in the offering to the Lord made by fire. You see, both of these things would affect the taste and the flavor of this fine flour and oil. Leaven, it makes things sour. And honey makes things sweet. And again, a picture of Jesus. Jesus was not harder than he needed to be on anyone. And Jesus was not sweeter or buttering anybody up or trying to butter up the gospel, right? Hell and damnation? No, no, I can't talk about that with them, right? 
Let me butter this up. Let me honey this up. And again, the same thing with us. We need to be clean and real. We need to ask, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit so, God, I don't make this lighter than it should be. And, Lord, I don't make this heavier than it should be either. May our service unto God be without sin and without trying to muddy the service, right? Muddy the gospel for the Lord. When we're talking with one another, right? Sometimes you got to be careful with Christians that are too nice to you because they'll stab you in the back when you turn around, right? It's the same type of idea. May we be real and honest, right? Sincerity and truth. In verse 12, we see another part of this grain offering. It's the offering of the first fruits. You shall offer them to the Lord, but they shall not be burned on the altar for a sweet aroma. These first fruits, again, you have a culture where, again, the way they would make money, the way they would survive, it's by agriculture. They would be growing food. They would have their animals, and that's how they made a living. So in showing gratitude and thanksgiving to God, before they even reaped of the harvest for themselves, before the harvest even ripened, they would grab it while it was green and say, Lord, I want to give this to you. Lord, I want to bless you with my first fruits, not with the last fruits. Again, be careful when you tithe God at the end of whatever's left of your paycheck, right? It kind of gets a lot more difficult that way. It's easier when you tithe to the Lord from the beginning, right? Lord, I just got the money. Lord, here, let me give it to you before my flesh gets in the way, right? That's the way we should be doing it. They were so grateful to God that they would grab the harvest before they even tasted of it, before it was even ripe, and they would give it to the Lord. It's also a picture of Jesus after his death and resurrection, which is why it would not be sacrificed. It would not be burned. Jesus died once and for all. He doesn't need to go back on the cross. Same is the picture there of the first fruits. Verse 13, And every offering of your grain offering you shall season with salt, and you shall not allow the salt of the covenant of your God to be lacking from your grain offering. With all your offering you shall offer salt. We don't know exactly why this is here, but we know salt is a preservative, so it would keep that harvest fresh and it would give it longevity and it's the same thing for us in our service unto the lord we need to have longevity and we need to stay fresh we need to stay fresh we need to have longevity in our service unto the lord it's dangerous when you're in the same job for like years and years and decades and decades and you're starting to get a little bit more crusty right it's getting a little bit more difficult you're getting a little bit more bitter because you've been there so long Oh, got to stay fresh. Got to have that longevity in our service unto the Lord. Jesus, he talks about this in Mark chapter 9, verse 49 and 50. He says, For everyone shall be salted with fire, and every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, what are you going to season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. Again, we need to have that salt. He calls us the salt of the world, the light of the world. So stay salty. Verse 14 through 16, it tells us in the biblical definition of salt. Uh, verse 14 through 16, if you offer a grain offering of your first fruits to the Lord, you shall offer for the grain offering of your first fruits green heads of grain roasted on the fire. This is if you're going to get your first fruits and make that your grain offering. That you burn. And grain beaten from full heads. And you shall put oil on it, lay frankincense on it. It is a grain offering, and then the priest shall burn the memorial portion. Part of it is beaten grain, part of it it's oil, with all frankincense as an offering made by fire to the Lord. Here in chapter 3, we see the peace offering. Anyone here have had to make a peace offering before? Wow, all the husbands here are incredible, right? No peace offerings here? That's really not what it's talking about here, but many 
husbands have probably made peace offerings here, right? Flowers or dinner or chocolate or whatever your wife likes. But that's not the case here. You see, this peace offering was not made in order to make peace. This peace offering was not made in order to deserve peace. This offering was made giving thanks for the benefits of peace that have already been received. And it's the same thing with us. We don't work to receive this peace from God. We come to Christ and then God is the one who gives us the peace of God into our hearts. That the moment we get saved, there's a certain tranquility. There's a certain peace. There's a certain relaxation that comes into each and every one of our hearts. The moment we come to Christ, we receive the peace of God in our hearts. And when we do that, we receive fellowship with God. And that's what this offering really is. We'll see how much we can get into it. We'll read verse 1. When his offering is a sacrifice of a peace offering, if he offers it of the herd, and now we see here a couple of differences. Now it could be male or female with this specific peace offering. He shall offer it once again without blemish before the Lord. God didn't want the leftovers. God didn't want your three-legged sheep or your two-legged goat, right, with the wheelchair in the back. That's not what God wanted. He wants, even yet today, our very best. Verse 2, similar to the burnt offering, they would lay their hand on the head of the offering, thanking God that the sacrifice of this animal would be taking their sins, and they would kill it at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And Aaron's sons, the priests, they would sprinkle the blood all around the altar, and then he shall offer from the sacrifice of peace offering an offering made by fire to the Lord. The fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the animal's the two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys he shall remove and Aaron's son shall burn it on the altar upon the burnt sacrifice which is on the wood that is on the fire as an offering made by fire a sweet aroma to the Lord. If you've ever been grilling and some fat drips down it's a sweet smelling aroma unto the Lord right. If his offering as a sacrifice of peace offering to the Lord is of the flock, whether male or female, he shall offer it without blemish. If he offers a lamb as his offering, then he shall offer it before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of his offering, kill it before the tabernacle of meeting, and Aaron's son shall sprinkle the blood all on the altar. Once again, they'd remove the fat that's all over the body. In verse 9 and in verse 10 and in verse 11, the priest shall burn them on the altar as food, an offering made by fire to the Lord. Again, here's the sheep. It's from the flocks. We know the first thing that we see when we get to heaven, it's Jesus Christ. And it's a picture of a lamb that was slain. It's interesting because all throughout Revelation and mostly throughout the New Testament, Jesus refers to himself not as the conquering king, now that's the Lord of the earth. But more than anything else, he speaks of himself as the lamb that was slain. The lamb that was slain. And the lamb that was slain for our sins. Verse 12, you could also offer this peace offering as a goat. And we know Jesus, he is our scapegoat. All of our sins were placed upon him. And he died taking our place so that we may live. Same idea here in verse 13. You'd lay your hand, lay your weight upon the head. They would kill it. You'd feel the sense of death coming into this animal, life leaving from it, being reminded that the wages of sin is death. Verse 
13 through 15, talks about, again, all the fat all over the animal. Verse 16, and the priest shall burn them on the altar as food, an offering made by fire for a sweet aroma. All the fat is the Lord's. This shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations in all your dwellings. You shall eat neither fat nor blood. And again, God desired the fat because it was the best part of the animal. What's the best steak? The answer is ribeye, right? That's what God would say. Because God says the fat is the best part of the animal, and they were to give God the absolute best that they have. Family, are you giving God your absolute best? Are you giving him the leftovers? Are you giving him what's left of your free time, what's left of your energy, what's left of your check? Are you saying, Lord, I want to give you my absolute best? There's a couple times in scriptures when we see a peace offering being given and being made. David Guzik, he notes, the greatest peace offering ever made happened when Solomon dedicated the temple. There was a peace offering of 22,000 cattle, 120,000 sheep. This must have been history's greatest barbecue, right? Why? Because in the peace offering, this is such a special offering because from the peace offering, all the fat, the very best, would go to the Lord. That would be burnt on the altar. Then a certain portion would go to the priest and a certain portion would go to the person making that offering. And the Lord, the priest, and the person would all eat of the same offering. What the peace offering is speaking of is our fellowship with God and our fellowship with one another. You could turn to 1 John chapter 1. And that's why it's so important that we have fellowship with other Christians. We enjoy each other's company. If you're here and you're telling me you don't enjoy the company of Christians, there's a problem. 1 John chapter 1 verse 1 through 4. It tells us that which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested and we have seen and we bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Speaking of Jesus, verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. Again, family, this is the blessed privilege that once we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, once His sacrifice is given to us and we say, yes, Lord, you're right, Jesus had to be sacrificed for my sins, then now we enter into fellowship with God. And we don't just enter into fellowship with God all alone and by ourselves. But if we are in true fellowship with God, then we will have true fellowship with the people of God and with the family of God. And again, the priest and any random person, they would eat of the same sacrifice. The same sacrifice that was given unto the Lord. In Leviticus chapter 7, the Lord gives Moses some more details on this peace offering. And now we're going to see something very different than the grain offering and most of the offerings and most of what we know of baking bread within this Hebrew culture, especially within the Old Testament. If you're like me, you would think, man, these guys, they can't have any donuts. They can't have any cakes. They can't have any bread. Why? Everything is unleavened, right? Everything is unleavened. But it's interesting because in Leviticus chapter 7... Verse 11, it says, This is the law of the sacrifice of peace offerings, which he shall offer to the Lord. 
If he offers it for a thanksgiving, then he shall offer it with the sacrifice of thanksgiving, unleavened cakes mixed with oil, unleavened wafers anointed with oil, or cakes blended, flour mixed with oil. Besides the cakes as his offering, he shall offer leavened bread with the sacrifice of thanksgiving of his peace offering. They would be able to bring leavened bread for this peace offering. Now you could have pizzas, now you could have cake, now you could have sandwiches, right? Why would they bring leavened bread to this peace offering? You see, even though the Lord saves us, even though the Lord frees us in our fellowship with him, we still bring the leaven. We're still sinners. We're still not perfect until we get to heaven. We, each of us, even Paul, even Peter, still deal with sin. So even though we're in this fellowship with God and in this fellowship with one another, we bring leaven to the table. That's why we should be kind to each other. That's why we should be gracious to each other. And this sin, right, this isn't what blocks our fellowship with God. But what blocks our fellowship with God is ongoing, unconfessed, or if you rather, unclean sin. You go to verse 19 there in chapter 7, and it says, The flesh that touches any unclean thing shall not be eaten. It shall be burned with fire, and as for the clean flesh, all who are clean may eat of it. But the person who eats the flesh of the sacrifice, of the peace offering that belongs to the Lord, while he is unclean, that person shall be cut off from his people. Moreover, the people who touches any unclean thing, such as human uncleanness, an unclean animal, or any abominable unclean thing, and who eats the flesh of the sacrifice of the peace offering that belongs to the Lord, that person shall be cut off from his people. So again, family, we do. We bring sin into our fellowship with God. But ongoing sin, unconfessing, now that breaks our fellowship with God. If you're here and you say, man, I haven't heard from the Lord in such a long time. I don't have that peace of God in my heart. Man, I come to church and I feel weird. I think everybody's looking at me funny. Perhaps there's some unclean thing that you've touched and you haven't been cleaned yet. You haven't come back to the Lord and said, Lord, clean me, wash me. Right? First John, that you haven't confessed that sin one to another. You haven't confessed that sin to the Lord. And thank God we don't live in the day and age of Leviticus because if you would give this peace offering while being unclean, it was over. You were kicked out, and there's nothing out there except the wilderness. But today, man, again, our fellowship with God, it's broken when we are in sin. To maintain fellowship with God, we have to confess our sins and turn away from it. 1 John 1.6 tells us that. In Isaiah 59, verse 1 and 2, God tells the nation of Israel, it's your sins that have gotten in the way of our fellowship. It's your sins why now we can't have fellowship with one another. It's your sins why we can't sit down and break bread, you, me, and the priest, right, in this day and age. But for us, what's breaking your fellowship with God? It's our own sins. Thank God he's given us the power over sin. And he's also given us the way that when we sin, we can come back to him. Let's turn to 1 John 1 and we'll close there. 1 John 1, 5 through 10. The scripture has been coming up a lot within the past few weeks. It says, this is the message which we have heard from him and we declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another 
And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Again, family, as we close up tonight going over these recipes, right? Basically a lot of bread recipes, oil, mixed with oil, this oil, salt, frankincense, right? Maybe you're going to go home and make your own unleavened cakes or something like that. Man, do you have fellowship with God right now? Do you have the peace of God in your heart that you're relaxed, you're calm, you're in the body of believers and no other place you'd rather be? Or do you come to church and you say, man, something's off. Ah, I want to be here, but I don't really want to be here. I want to be here, but I feel like everyone's looking at me funny. Everybody must be talking about me, right? That's because you don't have the peace of God because you're in darkness. You're in sin right now. And the only way we can get right with the Lord is to confess our sins to Him. It's to come clean, is to confess those sins and turn away from those sins and walk towards the Lord. That's the only way we maintain that beautiful fellowship with Him and with the body of believers.